Think Squad, it's time to talk about Bitcoin from a biblical perspective. Now, Bitcoin is money. So what does the Bible have to say about money? Is money a necessary evil or is it a gift from God? We're going to discuss this today, as well as the dangers of money and how politicians and elites misuse it. And yes, how Bitcoin can solve some of those problems, according to our guest. This is the Worldview Legacy Podcast. It's the show from the Think Institute that helps Christian laymen to become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekes. I am a former pastor and now the president of the Think Institute. My mission is to help you, the Christian layman, and your family to build a legacy in the Christian worldview and to pass on your faith to the younger generation. So what is the biblical perspective on money in general and on Bitcoin in particular? This is something that you need to know about as you're seeking to lead your family to think biblically about every area of life. We are going to help you think about and view Bitcoin and money in general through the lens of the biblical worldview, through the lens of scripture. And this is going to help you grow as the worldview leader of your family. Joining us today is Jordan Bush. Jordan Bush is the head of content and education for Thank God for Bitcoin, the company that exists to educate and equip Christians to use Bitcoin for the glory of God and the good of people everywhere. If you've heard of Bitcoin, but you weren't sure how it works, this episode is going to give you a good introduction to Bitcoin. If you're already into Bitcoin and you want to get better able to talk about it with others, this is going to give you some great talking points. If you're against Bitcoin, you think it's silly or stupid, this is going to present the other side for you in a way that will give you something to consider. And if you're just looking for an entertaining deep dive into the biblical worldview and the Bible's perspective on money, this episode is definitely for you. You're going to get a lot out of it. Specifically, today you're going to learn about what Bitcoin is and how it works. You're going to learn about the history of money. You're going to learn about how America became an economic empire after World War II and what happened to that empire in 1971 under President Richard Nixon. You're going to learn about how Bitcoin may be able to help prevent corruption and theft and increase freedom. You're going to learn about whether the lack of anonymity really is a deal breaker when it comes to Bitcoin. And you're going to learn about why Jordan Bush doesn't think that the complicated nature of Bitcoin is too high a barrier or a deal breaker for boomers and folks who are not technologically inclined and how you can get started with Bitcoin today if that is a direction that you want to go in. Now, if you enjoy this discussion and you want to learn more about how the Christian worldview interacts with all of life, family, work, money, your own call to ministry, there is actually a new way for you to get tons of bonus content and stuff to help you on your journey. And I'm going to tell you all about how you can get access to that at the end of this show. So stay tuned to the end if that's something that you're interested in. Yeah, my name is Jordan Bush. I am the head of content and education for Thank God for Bitcoin, and I help Christians understand Bitcoin. Just a quick disclaimer. 
as you're listening or watching this episode, we're not giving you any investment advice, tax advice, anything <laughs> like that. I have to say that because you never know. Well, but, what's funny is you actually giving that disclaimer does nothing to absolve you of, of anything. Like it, it's hilarious. like people think it does. It just, it doesn't, if they wanted to come after you for something they could, but <laughs> don't, don't say that. Don't burst my bubble. Come on, Jordan. I get that. I gave the disclaimer. It's like, it's, like those... it's literally, it's just the podcast version of those, uh, the people retweeting those memes on, or like re- sharing those memes on Facebook of they're taking your things. I, I don't give my permission for you to, you know, yes, the boomers who all uh, exactly. post that. That's right. I'm absolved now. Um, <laughs> All right. So what's the story of how you discovered Bitcoin? Yeah. So basically my, my background is I graduated from a Bible college um, and just wanted to work in Christian ministry. Um, and so my wife and I became church planting missionaries and went to the country of Uruguay in South America uh, to plant churches uh, in a very secular place. Um, and so there were over the course of a few years, you're talking upwards somewhere between 60 and 100,000 Venezuelan immigrants who were coming into Uruguay. And so, again, I had a cursory understanding of Austrian economics, a little bit of politics, not much. And uh, and then just I was the Bible guy, like I just Bible philosophy. That was what I studied and just went in thinking, hey, we're just going to plant a church. And then as we as we got to know our Venezuelan brothers and sisters and just tried to help them just basically start their lives over, um, we just were we just learned more about you know, why their situation had happened. Um, and we had, for instance, we had doc- people who were doctors, economists, people with upper middle class making $100,000 a year denominated in, in dollar terms in their Venezuelan currency, who three or four years later weren't even able to pay the rent. Um, and so just the more that we just saw how drastic, uh, the drastic effect that that currency devaluation had on them, and then the way that that affected um just families, you had families where fathers were leaving their wives and kids in Venezuela to move to Uruguay, and then to try to send money home. And then the ways that you would send money home are super expensive. And, um, and so just the more that we saw that, the more I just began thinking like, what in the world, like, this is crazy, this is happening. Is there is there not some way is there some way that this could be helped or something along those lines? And so when I heard about Bitcoin a number of years later, um, the more that I learned about it, I was thinking about it through the lens of the last few years that we'd been ministering to people who'd, who'd been directly affected by it. Um, and so the more that I appreciated what Bitcoin was and saw the potential for it to um, both the, the, util- the utility of it, but then as, as somebody who was a, a amateur theologian and thinker, um, I just saw a lot of a lot of very important things within the way that Bitcoin was designed that led me to, to just appreciate it a lot, even just as a Christian. Um, and so I'm happy to, I'd love to talk more about that over this conversation. How did you hear about it? Yeah. So basically, I mean, I was, I just heard, heard about it. It was to 2017. Well, it's not true. I had heard about it a little bit earlier. Um, I had been in those days, let's see, early to, uh, 2011, 12, I was a listener of the Glenn Beck, the Glenn Beck program. And so Glenn was uh, peddling. Uh, he had all these sponsors who were gold and silver people. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go get some gold and silver, walked into a gold and silver shop. And there was a girl sitting at the register uh, who had a Bitcoin sticker on her computer. And that was my opportunity. Bitcoin was about $200 a coin and, uh, <laughs> and had the opportunity to buy it there. But I was like, hey, this I started talking to the owner and said, hey, this Bitcoin thing is kind of weird. He's like, yeah, it's really interesting, honestly. Um, 
just talked to him for 15 minutes and then turned it down. And it wasn't until 2017 that I actually bought a little bit of it. Um, okay. And it was in December of 2017 as it was beginning its ramp up running from like $1,000 earlier that year to 20,000 at the end of that year. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so that was first, I bought a hundred bucks worth of it. Um, wow. so yeah, so bought a little bit then, and then really got into it in earnest in 2019. Um, okay. And do you consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you, this is, this is always dangerous when people know that phrase, but yes, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to happy to defend why. So why is that dangerous? Yeah. Well, no, just it's dangerous in the sense that that can be somewhat of a pejorative term. And uh, oh, okay. yeah. And so people, I don't take it as pejorative. It's, it's very similar again, here we go. The danger of, of making comparisons between Bitcoiners and, and Christians, but in the same way that Christian was a pejorative term in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, Bitcoin maximalist is, is, very much similar uh the people who are that own it and, and are, are happy to be called that um and then those who don't think that they're being clever so so what does the term mean to you then yeah so basically a, a bitcoin maximalist is just somebody who only only buys bitcoin and only sees value in bitcoin and not any of the other um any of the other literal ten thousands of thousands and thousands i believe there's somewhere near twenty thousand different cryptocurrencies at this point um and the reason why is very similar to the reason why christians are are toxic jesus maximalists um who who see only (laughs) value i didn't say toxic yeah (laughs) but um and and that reason has to do with what like what is what is the nature of religion what why does religion exist you know, what is humanity's great need? And when you answer that question, Jesus fills that need. Amen. And Bitcoin maximalism is is true because you when you ask yourself the question of what is money, when you understand and dig down into what money is and the, the properties that money is designed to have, um, you see that Bitcoin fulfills all of those things um, in ways that none of those other cryptocurrencies do. Um, and so it's got everything to do with the nature and, and of what money is and, and what it's designed to do. For our listener who is like you were when you first walked into that yep. gold and silver shop, yep, not quite sure what Bitcoin is. Yep. Tell us, tell us about what it is, because it's it's man, I'm not even sure I fully understand it yet. Yep. I've, I'm in, I'm in, I'm into Bitcoin, so yep. Let us okay. Know. So Bitcoin is just it's a it's a digital ledger um, to keep track of transactions, um, and so that's that's literally what it is. Again, the the coins narrative is is somewhat of a misnomer, uh, but basically what it is it's just a digital ledger that keeps track of of transactions, um, and so you can you can what you're when you actually buy and sell Bitcoin, what you're doing is you're buying and selling the right um, to to move a certain um, to, to possess the keys, the cryptographic keys that, that give you access to certain or per certain percentage of, of the, the ledger that exists. Um, and so it's, it's basically decentralizing and um, just decentralizing the, the monetary creation and monetary transmission. That's the, the value proposition of it. You've explained that before. Uh, probably a lot of many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was oh, great. I love the, happy to hear it. Yeah. yeah. I love the comparison to email. I've seen those yep. clips, yes. these, these news anchors <laughs> trying to figure out what the at symbol is. Yep. And going, exactly. Does it mean about what does yeah. it mean? <laughs> yeah. That's great. And so this is, this is, this is how everything is. This is how technology works is technology is impossible until it's ubiquitous. And that's, that, that's how it's going to be with Bitcoin. There's, there's already iterations of Bitcoin that are very easy to use, 
Um, cash app is one, the, ca the cash app basically allows you, you can buy and sell and send Bitcoin relatively easily. Um, but just again, as time goes on, it's going to get easier and easier to use. And as more and more people understand it, use it, and then there's going to be better tools available. Okay. So scripture warns us against loving money. Yeah. I yeah. know, you know, this, you include this in your book. Yep. hundred percent. Uh, your book is thank God for Bitcoin. Yep. So, so give you a couple of examples, a couple of examples, yep. Hebrews 13, five. Sure. Keep your life free from money and be content Amen. with what you have. Amen. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yep. First Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced yep. themselves with many pangs. And then Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books of the Bible, yep. says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Amen. All right, Jordan, Bitcoin is money. Yeah. How do you promote Bitcoin without falling into a love of money? Yeah, I would quote another scripture, which is that Jesus says that if you love your mother and father more than him, you're not worthy of him. If you love your children more than him, you're not worthy of him. And so what we find is that in scripture, there's danger of disordinate loves. There's a love, there's a danger with loving anything more than loving Jesus. And so I 100% I agree that, that, that Bitcoin is dangerous, that that parenting is dangerous that all of like our, our hearts it, there's danger inherent involved with living in a sinful world and possessing a heart that is tempted to go after lesser things um but the what jesus is getting at and all of those in all of those admonitions is that it's 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 dangerous when you use things or love things disordinately and so what that means is that there's a there's a there's a proper way to use in, in a proper way to love and appreciate things. Um, and so what one of the things that we have to, we work to help people understand is you have to understand what money is designed to do. If you're looking at, and the danger with money is that you, you look at it as if it's a savior. And you look at it as, as even more than a savior, you look at it as, as a way for you to say, um, let my kingdom come, let my will be done in heaven and on earth as it is in my head. That, that's the danger. And that, that's, that's what we're constantly tempted to do is, is to use everything around us in order to magnify and glorify ourselves and to make, to, to make our will be done, to, to exalt ourselves as God. And so money is, why is money in some ways uniquely dangerous? Because it's uniquely flexible and it uniquely allows us to do that in a way that not much else does. Um, and so, so again, this is, I, I agree, it's dangerous. We need to be careful, but we, we don't need to be any more careful with money than we need to be with loving our, our parents or loving our, our wives or spouses or kids or our own lives. You know, this is, there's a danger in loving ourselves and, and putting ourselves as um, kings over, over our lives and being the ultimate um the ultimate deciders of, of how we live and what we do with our, our, the different resources that God has entrusted to us. Um, so I think that's the question that that's a great question, but the question that, that really people need to ask is, okay, so the best way to avoid something, avoid using something wrongly is to use it correctly. So the question is, what is the correct way to think about and use money? Hmm. Um, that's, that's how we're going to avoid falling into the, the pitfalls with money and with everything else is by, you know, walking the straight and narrow and using things for in the ways and for the reasons that God designed them to be used. Okay. So in your book, you do talk about the history of money yep. and in yep. the way that you speak about money, 
one would get the impression you believe that money is actually something designed by God. It's intended by God. It's not a purely human creation. Yeah. Um, it's something that God wants us to have. Is that right? It, I, I would say yes. I would say yes. Again, there's the, there's the long answer and there's a short answer. I would say yes. And, and that is driven by this impulse and that's every good and perfect gift comes from above. Mm. So if there's something that is good, how do we define good? Joel, you'll appreciate this as a philosopher. How do we define good? Well, the, the Bible gives two definitions. One is that things are good insofar as they acknowledge and exalt God. And then things are good insofar as they enable people to have their needs met in, in pursuits that glory, that glorify and honor God. Mm. Um, and so insofar as money enables people to um, efficiently um, in, interact with each other and, and exchange good, what people have for what they don't have in order that they may live and prosper and, and all these different things, then yeah, money is a great gift um, that certainly wasn't just the idea of, of people. It, it originated, at least the idea originated in God. God creates things that serve people's interests and needs and money is one such, uh, is one such good and utility that, that helps people, um, that is designed to help people prioritize and, and have their needs met. Okay, and and in the history of money, if we were to go back and trace it back to its its earliest yep. Yep. Um, genesis, did it evolve from bartering systems? Yeah, well, this is what's super interesting, right? And this is this is again a a, 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 a deeper philosophical thing is right. There's things that are intuitive to us that are wrong, <laughs> huh. you know, intuitively sure. there's things that we just intuitively like, okay. It's one such thing that seems intuitive is that we started with a barter economy. There's literally no evidence that it actually happened. Yeah. But that's um, what I was, that's what I was taught. That's what you were 100%, taught. A hundred percent. But when you, mm -hmm. when you study the history, it, it's, there's not actually evidence for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what, what you, what you run into is again, due to the nature of what money is, like it, you, you always societies, though, all the evidence that we have is that there have been in all societies, there's been something that was this third thing that was used. I like in the book, you give five criteria for what money is. Yep. It's got to be divisible, yep. portable, durable, recognizable, and scarce. Yes. And, and so are, are you saying that society has always had that, that third uh, thing that third yep. intermediary uh, trade facilitator that had those yep. five attributes. So again, to a to a greater or lesser degree, yes. That that's okay. again, that's the best money will have all five of those those um, uh, characteristics that you just named. But why is that? The the reason why is because money. One of the the properties of money is it's designed to be a store of value. Now, why is that important? Because we want to be able to have some way to quantify work that has been done. And so money is a money is a labor storage technology. Um, this is why something like sand makes a very poor money. Now, why? Because I could just run outside. Sand is ubiquitous. It's almost everywhere. So I could just, without denying myself, without doing any work and, and you know doing anything like that, I could just run outside and and you know scoop up some sand and then go pay for pay my neighbor for something. Sand and is so, literally the example when God wants to tell Abraham, your descendants will be un, exactly. un innumerably. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's sand. You know, because yes. sand is everywhere. That's that's yes. a great example. 
It's, it's this is again the the question of money goes back to it goes back to the nature of work, and and we want to have some way to quantify the value of work. Okay, now why does that matter? Well, there's a there's a principle that God has hardwired and does and um coded into the the fabric of of reality and that's the that's the principle of sowing and reaping um the apostle paul in the book of galatians goes so far as to say he says for god is not mocked for what a man sows that will he also reap and so paul says that god is so hardwired this principle into the nature of reality that to deny it is to mock god and so now again, we, we see other places where this same principle is worded maybe a little bit differently. God will render to each one according to his works. Um, if, if a man is not willing to work, neither shall he eat. And so you see this sowing and reaping. God wants this to be the way that the world works. There's no free lunches. There's inputs and then there's outputs. Mm -hmm. And so God has designed the world to work this way. And, and, and so Again, and why why does that matter? Well, because it matters because we want to love our neighbors. We want to treat our neighbors the way that we want to be treated. And so we don't want free lunches. That, that's not the world that God made. God made a world of scarcity. God made a world of scarce things where the difference between having and have notting is, is working hard in, in producing things. It's seeing needs and, and taking action to produce things that fulfill those needs. Um and so we, in the same way that we do those things, we want a way to quantify the fact that labor and value has been created and, and labor has been done and value has been created. And we want to have a place to store that value. And that's what money does. Okay. So I'm really struck by the fact that you're taking something that is physical and tangible and you're, you're converting it into something that's conceptual and, and immaterial. Yeah. You worked this hard. So I'm ascribing this much value to it. There's a yes. spiritual dimension to that yes. because it's not physical. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's it, really cool. It is. And this is, and this is what's when, again, if you give a Christian accounting for, for work and, and money more broadly, what is it that's going on? So you're saying, Hey, I have this need. And then someone comes along and they could do anything with their time, but they deny themselves from doing other things from focusing on other things and they set their attention and set their strength to meet your need. Okay. So their scarce time, they'll never get it back. Mm -hmm. Their scarce attention. They can't ever get that back. You know, they set it on you. Okay. So they pay particular attention to you. This is God-like, you know, yeah. what you do. This is what God does. He sets his attention on us and yeah. then they fulfill a need. Right. Okay. Now, how do I respond after having my need met? I am, because I, again, if I'm a Christian, I'm moved by the fact that this person has, has loved me by meeting my need. And so I respond by saying, and by this person also taking the initiative to, to meet my need. And then I respond and I say, I want to give you something that is as scarce, as valuable, as honoring of your time and mm -hmm. attention as the work that you did to provide for me. So I want to love my neighbor. This is where the spiritual reality and the spiritual spirituality of, of what's going on starts to come into play. Hmm. Um, and you start to see why kings have, why gold has become a kingly metal. And, and you know, again, you, things trend towards gold being used because gold is the, up till recently has been the, 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 the best thing that fulfills as many of those monetary criteria as possible. You know, that actually brings up a good point. 
Um, or I guess this is a question that I don't know if I've ever clarified it in my mind, Jordan, but when I talk to guys who are Bitcoin maximalists, Bitcoin yep. enthusiasts, Bitcoin promoters, mm -hmm. Bitcoin is sometimes called digital gold. Yep. Yep. Well, here's a, here's a question for you. When I read scripture, yep. I see gold all over the place. Yep. Solomon's temple is rife with it. Solomon's palace is rife with it. Yep. The new Jerusalem is constructed yep. out of translucent gold. However you interpret that apocalyptic language, yep. we're talking about gold. Yep. And, and for Bitcoin guys, we're talking about taking the, the role of gold and converting it into something that's a lot more conceptual and less physical. Are we losing something biblical by taking something that was physical and tangible and earthy and turning it digital and more conceptual? And well, again, so, it? yep. So I, that's a fantastic question. Joel, this is, you are the most prepared interviewer I've, I've ever had. And so I'm just super, <laughs> I just want to commend you on that front. Um, so I feel like that that's a fantastic question. Um, and again, I, I think it, again, gold serves multiple purposes it, and it, it, it does a lot of different things. And so I can definitely understand that argument to a certain degree. Again, I think that you're, we're always going to have gold. Gold is always going to serve a purpose. Um, but honestly, it's not Bitcoin that's rendered gold useless or it's denigrated gold. It's been the fiat system that's done that. Like if fiat, fiat currency has enabled governments to basically marginalize gold and render it impotent is, is what it's done. They basically sit on the, the value, the dollar denominated value of gold via the futures market. And so, but again, the, the point is, I don't, Bitcoin's not doing anything, anything bad to gold. Again, if, if gold is a technology and gold is a tool, um, then again, gold doesn't exist for its own benefit. It exists for the glory of God. It exists to, to serve people's needs and interests. It does communicate um, glorious things about God, but I would argue Bitcoin can communicate and does communicate a lot of those same things that gold does. One of the other things that I, again, this, a lot of this comes down to the, the utility, right. Of, of gold. So for instance, our Venezuelan brothers and sisters, like they're, they're trying to, many of them had to leave Venezuela on foot. They had to walk across a bridge or through the woods to try to avoid the, the official um, border crossing uh, because at those places they're being forced to pay large taxes um, or some taxes, or if not being robbed by the soldiers who are working or just other people who know there's going to be people leaving, leaving the, the places. Um, so if they were to walk across the border with gold in a backpack or silver in a backpack, they're just going to be easily robbed. And this, this right. has happened to people. Um, and so again, gold's physicality and tangibility has definite benefits, but it also has definite drawbacks. Let me hit you with a Bible verse. Haggai Go for one, six and seven, two verses. Yep. Talks about something like inflation being a curse. Okay. And you, you talk about inflation in your book. Yep. So let me yep. read a couple of verses to you here. And then I want to get your thoughts on how Bitcoin relates to this issue. Yep. Haggai says this. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus mm. says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Okay, table that for a second. So yep. in your book, you talk about inflation as this plague, as this, as it, as theft. 
And man, until very recently, I did not understand that concept. I heard, I remember Ron Paul talking about it back in 2008. Can you just unpack this biblical idea that the diminishing value of our labor and our currency is a plague and a curse? And how is Bitcoin related to any of this? How does Bitcoin solve the problem? It's a great question. So with with uh, with money, one of the, the um, characteristics that you want is money that's scarce. And w- why does that matter? You want money that's as scarce as the things that you're going to buy with it. Um, and so if 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 I'm going to give my uh, if I'm going to give my uh, time in exchange for something, if I'm going to if I'm going to store the value of my labor in a money. And then I'm going to exchange that money for things that I really need to live. So food or shelter or whatever. I want it to be scarce. I don't want it to be something that's easily um, easily produced or that can be found just anywhere. So this goes back to our the illustration of sand. Um, and so what inflation does inflation if you have a if you have a whatever your your money or your currency is, if you have a money that is easily reproducible, then it's and then there's a smaller barrier between being able to create that money or currency out of thin air in a way that quickly makes it worthless or worth less than it was when you uh, agreed to do work to earn it. You want to have a money that's not easily reproducible, that's that's that protects people against uh, sinful people who would try to get something for nothing. Um, there's a there's a word for getting something for nothing, biblically speaking. Very obscure Old Testament passage, um, uh, uh, Exodus twenty verse eight: "Thou shalt not steal." Um, stealing is getting something for nothing, and yeah, so infl- so getting something for nothing is 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 sin. Um, inflation is institutionalized theft. It's definitely happened throughout human history, but most recently, 1971, the the U.S. goes off the gold standard. Um, right. We stop having. The, the paper U.S. dollars uh, as the world reserve currency that are backed by gold. You know, right. we, in 1971, you completely disconnect. Uh, Richard those, Nixon, right? Exactly. The Nixon shock. So, again, yeah. I'll give the – so the, the quick – the two-second version of this is in the aftermath of World War II, so right before it ends, actually, it's 1944, Europe has barely survived – They've, they've spent almost all of their gold in order to pay countries like the United States and ironically Uruguay, um, who were wow. geographically isolated from the, the war in, in the Pacific and European theaters. And so, um, so basically they had spent a lot of their gold just surviving. Hmm. Um, and so they get to the end of the war and they're trying to figure out what is the post-war world going to look like? What are we going to use for money? We don't have any gold left. So the United States sitting on the lion's share of the of Europe's gold, um, you know, having been paid for guns and food and all these kind of things, they basically say, you know, they have a ton of leverage. And so they have the Bretton Woods conference. Oh yeah. And so they have this conversation of what, what is, what are we going to use for money now? And so again, the United States has tremendous, you know, leverage at this point. And so they basically convince everyone to, to do this. They said, okay, um, you guys are going to hold us dollars, as reserves in your bank accounts. And then you can create your own currencies backed by a certain ratio of dollars to those things. Okay. And then we'll hold a certain ratio of gold to, uh, for every dollar for, from 1944 wow. until 1971. That's, that's how the world operated. And then so and the they, world held yeah. dollars and dollars were backed by gold. So yes. the world's currency was backed by gold via the US dollar. Yes. And so you had you had mm. a you had a you had scarce 
reality tethered to gold. So again, in, in a, in a biblical scriptural sense, you had sowing and reaping, you had sowing and reaping going on. There is a fixed amount. You have fixed inputs that produce fixed outputs. Hmm. We have the world is more or less same. Equal weights and measures. Exactly. Everything's every, fair. Yes. It's a known, it's a known quantity. It's a known trade. There's no deception Correct. in the actual trade itself. That that's what was going on. Part of the, the, the health of this agreement was in the fact that countries could come to the United States and convert dollars for gold. So this was, this was like the mechanism for keeping the United States honest. Right. Okay. Now paper currency is a lot, has a lot of benefits to gold. And one of those is chiefly is the portability. So yeah, it's way easier to walk around with a hundred dollar bill than it is to carry around a hundred ounces of gold yeah. in that previous uh, arrangement. So at some point though, in, in 1971, France comes to the United States and they, they say, Hey, we want to exchange. We want to exchange some of our, <laughs> some of our dollars for gold. Yeah. The very next day, President Nixon comes out and says, we're closing the gold window. We're stopping no. the convertibility of gold for, 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 uh, for dollar or dollars for gold. Because what they said is we don't have enough. There's not enough gold to fulfill the dollar obligations for all of the dollar reserves that are out there. The United States had been secretly printing more money than they had more dollars than they had gold reserves to back up. And so now again, why did they do this? Well, because they are the only ones who can legally print the, or legally create the most valuable currency in the world. What did that afford them? Okay. It afforded them. And this is what fiat currency more broadly affords governments and central banks is the ability to make yourselves functionally gods. If you can just create value out of thin air, the only person that Christians are, are cool having that power is God. Right. <laughs> right. And so there, there is one God and we are not him. So basically what you had is the government, the U S government is in treasury, whoever is, is printing more and more dollars. And so effectively there's way more dollars out there than the vast majority of people know. And so what the United States has been doing is they're using these dollars to go out into the market and buy things that are more scarce than those dollars. Hmm. And so what effectively they're doing is they are deceiving every other person, especially people overseas. They're deceiving people into thinking that there's this amount of dollars when in reality, there's way more. I just got done listening to the book, uh, the case for Christian nationalism by Stephen Wolf. Okay. Yep. And one of the things that he talks about in that book, and this is coming out of classical Protestant uh, political theory. Yep. One of the definitions of tyranny is when a ruler or a magistrate enacts laws to benefit himself. Yep. And yep. this is this has always been something yep. that tyrants do. Yep. And it's it's interesting because it's not as though the United States was not on paper the the um legislator of the world or like the ruler of the world it's not an actual political empire yeah. but it was an economic empire yes and and they abused that power it sounds like yeah. they they actually committed they yeah. were engaged in economic tyranny is what it yeah. sounds like it's a point that you just touched on is you're saying it's it's not a what did you what was the word yeah not a political empire but it's, an it's economic not a empire. political empire but it's an economic empire and and that is the story of the gospel and that's the story of the biblical narrative. Now I want to paint the picture here. Okay. So the, and this, this came up, my, my thinking on this was shaped by, um, I was reading the passage, um, 
reading the passage uh, in in the Gospels. It's in several of the Gospels where Jesus, uh, it's the, the famous uh, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's, okay? So I've been reading, uh, I've been reading some of, um, what is it? I've been reading Peter Lightheart's book, uh, uh, House for My Name. Have you read that book Ooh, at all? I haven't read it. I've heard okay. of it. It is a fantastic book. Uh, I love but I've Peter been reading. I've been I've been reading uh, that book. I've been reading uh, Through New Eyes by James B. Jordan. So I'm like learning to to see the world uh, biblical, like through the lens of biblical theology. Cool. And so I read that passage, and uh, and so basically Jesus is being tested. They're trying to put him to death effectively, which is the. Mm. That whole passage is, is not primarily about tax policy. That pri- that's primarily about what, what is happening and, and what Jesus says is, is guided by what they're trying to do. Hmm. So they asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes, this specific tax to Caesar or not? Lawful according to what standard? They're obviously not asking according to Roman law because, duh, it's obviously legal according to Roman law to pay taxes. So they're under the guise of they're asking Jesus, is it lawful according to the Mosaic law? to pay taxes to Caesar. Jesus knows you liars are trying to kill me under the guise of caring what the Mosaic law says. So this is, it's, it's, it's a whole farce, but so what does Jesus do? He calls for the Roman coin. Now the coin that he calls for is a denarius on the denarius that, that he would have, he would have used. It says on the front of it, it says, um, uh, I can't remember what it is. It's Tiberius. You know, it's son of Tiberius. Basically, Son of the divine Tiberius is, is what it has. Okay. So son of the divine. And then, and it, it's, um, it's basically, he was the ruler. So son of the divine on the reverse of the coin, it says Pontiff Maximus. So high priest. Okay. So you have high priest, you have son of the divine and he, that's, he's the ruler, obviously he's effectively the, for all intents and purposes, a king. So you have son of the divine king and priest are the three things that are incorporated in this coin. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So he effectively says, he says, here's this monetary unit that bears the image of the son of the divine, who is the effectively the king, he's the ruling authority, and he is the high priest. Give to Caesar what Caesar's, the thing that bears his image, give to God that which bears his image. What bears God's image? People do. Amen. Think about what the Great Commission is then. The Great Commission is a treasure hunt. Like we're out here trying to, we're out here finding God's treasure that's hidden all around the world. Think about how this affects, again, it affects all kinds of things. What is, why is, why is it so wrong to store up treasure in, in, on earth? Because you're not storing up God's treasure. We've talked about inflation. We've talked about yep. government corruption. We've talked about yep. greed. We've talked about the parallels between the economic empire of the United States and the, <laughs> the spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ in the world, mm-hmm. the great commission. Let's pivot. Let's talk about Bitcoin because how does, how does Bitcoin solve the problems of corruption of um, actually, here's a verse I, I really did want to ask you about mm-hmm. James two, six. Yep. I just got done doing a personal study through James mm-hmm. in James two, six James chastises his readers for currying favor with the rich. Mm-hmm. He says, is it not the rich who are dragging you into court? Yep. These rich, powerful people with a lot of money at their disposal are using that wealth to persecute believers. Yep. Yep. And this is a tale as old as time. It's 2000 years old. My question is how would Bitcoin 
eliminate some of these problems of the rich, the societal elites, even the global elites Mm -hmm. oppressing God's people? Or do you see that happening? Yeah. So again, the the way that this the way that this happens is honestly by having a a a law that a law system that applies to everyone equally, no matter if you're rich or poor. And so the, the, the reason why the problem with fiat currency is that the, and the, the problem with monetary creation being that way is that the monetary issuance is happening from a central point of failure from one central point. And so it, when that's the case, the people who are making that production happen um, are, are going to be closer to the, so if you're closer to the point of monetary creation, you have more influence, power, control, whatever. Um, and so they, you can have control over, over how that process happens. You know, you, that, that you, you basically can change the rules, the ratios again to the, to the earlier point, you can change the rules related to this. So With, can I interject yeah. here? Because the yeah, way yeah. I understand it, tell me if I get this right. Yeah. If, if you are close to the production of money, yep. one of the ways you might manipulate that is you know a bunch of money is going to be printed soon, which is going to yep. devalue all the dollars in, in the, the system. Bingo. So you go out and you buy a bunch of scarce goods yes. using dollars that are worth more than the dollars will be yes. worth tomorrow. Yes. So yes. because dollars are going to be worth less tomorrow, that means the value of all those goods you're buying will be worth more dollars tomorrow. Yes. So you go out and buy all this, whatever, stock, yes. goods, property, and- Tomorrow, all the dollars in the whole system, they're all worth um, less and all the goods are worth more. Well, you now have fewer dollars and more of those durable goods that are worth more. You've taken advantage of the system. Yes? Yes. Yes. The buying power, the buying power of the dollar goes down as more, as more dollars are created. Um, the, The biggest, most recent case in point of this is, and this sounds insane. Okay. This sounds like there's no way this can be true. 40 okay so when president trump and president biden started doing the the uh airdrop airdropping money to people during covid 40 yes. percent of all of the dollars that have ever existed have been created since 2020 yeah okay I heard that. so now so now what, when it, it's insanity. insanity it's insane now what <laughs> no. else happened what what happened right out right around that same point well housing prices started jumping like crazy Okay. Now, did the did those houses fundamentally change their nature and character? No. What happened was that the, there was more or less the same amount of houses as there was before they airdropped all that money. And so you just had way more money competing for more or less the same amount of scarce goods. And so, of course, if that's the case, there's going to be more money than there is houses. Right. And so the way to different the way to the way that that the, the houses take into account that that change is by the value of them denominated in those increasingly worthless dollars is by the the price going up. So when you see the price going up, what you need to, when you see prices of groceries going up, when you see prices of all these things going up, what you actually need to see and and know that's happening is there's nothing changing about the actual food or houses themselves. It's that the money is getting more worthless. And so you need more of them to buy the same thing that existed before. How Um, does Bitcoin solve that problem though? Yes. So the way that Bitcoin solves that is because there are there are 21 million Bitcoin that can ever exist, no matter what. It's it's program programmatic scarcity. Um, and again, the thing that basically, so the way that the way it works like this. Okay. So every bank, basically, what we how do you know how much money is in your bank? It's because get, you can I check it online and go there's to a ledger. Or, yeah, yeah. Your your bank is holding a ledger of all of its credits and debits. 
all, all of the amount of money that people have deposited and all of the money that all of the obligations that they owe for their mortgages or whatever, whatever it is. Um, but it, it's a ledger that you have to take their word for it. Okay. Now you, you again, there, there's strict penalties. Like if they were to be found lying, whatever, but sure. you, at the bottom line is that it's a relationship of trust. I have to trust that they are telling me the truth. Again, by and large, this, this doesn't become an issue, but the, the more that things go on and the, and as fiat currencies fail and they always fail throughout history, um, we have to submit ourselves to the witness of history and define that this is always the, the, how fiat currencies end is by collapsing. Um, at the end, you, you get to the place where these, these trusted third party banks become less than trustworthy. And so rather than a situation where you're trusting the ledger and you're trusting a third party bank that they're a, they, they, have your money in there that you have the amount of money you think you do and that B they'll give you access to that money when you want it. Okay. Rather than doing that, you have a system of Bitcoin, which Bitcoin is a decentralized ledger. It's a ledger that anybody in the world, if they have like a couple hundred gigabytes can download in a copy of every single transaction that's ever happened on the Bitcoin network. And so I can verify, I can go back and find specific transactions from the very first one to, to everyone since then, I can go back and verify this happened on this day, at this time, this amount, everything. I don't, there's not a need to trust. There's no third party who's there who, who I'm needing to trust. I can verify for myself that this actually, that this actually happened. Um, and so again, the, the programmatic scarcity, rather than having a situation that exists right now, which is how is money created right now? Okay, it's not it's not just literally a, a printer's just running. Money is created through the issuance of new loans. It's created through the issuance of of mortgages or whatever it is. They issue debt. I don't and think so, people realize that. No, they when do your not. bank writes <laughs> when your bank gives you a loan, they're yes. not giving you money that's in the safe. Yes. They're they're actually creating money and they have yeah. the right from the government to create money yes. out of thin air. And that's yes. what fiat means. It means yes. declaration. It means yes. pronouncement. It's, we pronounce that you have this money. They've created it out of thin air. The very first declaration that ever happened was fiat lux, which means let there be light. There be light. Like this is that's this right. is and so again, this goes back tying it to only God has this ability. And yet, yeah. of course, sinful humans are going to vote themselves the if they can, they're gonna give themselves the ability to give give themselves godlike power. The first temptation, um, you shall be like God. A hundred, Joel, exactly. You're, you're writing the book. Here we go. <laughs> so this is all of this. So this is, this is what's going on. So with Bitcoin, the creator of Bitcoin, Satoshi, so this, this uh, mysterious shadowy person, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto decided, Hey, we're going to, we're going to put a fixed cap of 21 million Bitcoin. And every single one of those Bitcoins can be divided into, they're going to have a hundred million fractions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's trying to solve this issue of how can we, how can we have a currency that could theoretically be used by every person on earth? You need lots of fractions. <laughs> you need lots of, of small fragments, but that's not a, that doesn't, that's, that's not a problem for the same reason that um, if I divide up a pizza, I could theoretically divide up a pizza into eight slices that could then be divided into a thousand micro slices, right? But it doesn't change the overall size of the pizza. And it, so, how know, does that solve the corruption problem then? Yes. So it solves the corruption problem by 
the the monetary issuance, all of that has been, and all of the politics and temptation for corruption that goes along with that has been baked in since day one, and it can't be changed now. What's to stop someone from creating Bitcoin certificates like they did with the the dollar, the gold-backed dollar, yes. where yes. they say, here's a certificate, this is worth five Bitcoin, yes. but in reality, they've, they've issued out 10 of those things. Yes, exactly. And so so the thing that's preventing you know it, so yeah, 100%, it's a fantastic question. Again, Joel, you are the most prepared interview I've ever had. <laughs> so it's that's a fantastic question. Now, here here's the thing. The thing that the thing that the reason why that won't work, or at least it, it shouldn't work again, like people people do dumb things, but the reason why it, it won't work is because the fundamental the issue, the reason why we got to fiat currency that we had was because of the of gold's physicality. Mm. Okay. So gold, if I have a large amount of gold, I don't want to have that sitting at my house. I want to have a place with thick walls, guys with guns whatever. I want right. to have a place where it's, it's secure. Physical things have to be secured by physical infrastructure. Mm. Okay. So the, the thing that the reason people were willing to surrender control of their gold and silver to a third party bank was because the bank provided them a security that they couldn't themselves have with Bitcoin because it's digital and because cryptography exists. I can get the same security again, to the point I made it earlier, I can get the same security that is protecting the nuclear codes via, via um, SHA-256 cryptography. I can get that to protect my digital assets. I don't need to trust the third party that that can get that for very, very cheaply, all, all of these things. So the, the, there's not a need to entrust a third party with with my Bitcoin the way that there was, and there's not a need or there's not the same advantages with trusting my Bitcoin to a third party as there was with trusting my gold to a third party. So you don't need certificates that say this is worth five Bitcoin no. because you just keep the keys to your Bitcoin. You yeah, just I, I just Bitcoin. I keep the keys to my Bitcoin, and as again, as long as I have electricity, okay then I'm able to interact with without, I'm able to do that. Now, what about in the case if the electricity goes down? Well, then, yeah, we're going to be in a bad place financially. Right. We're also going to be in a real bad place medically because mm -hmm. all of our hospitals are going to shut down. And I think about you know, that all the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so again, again, if, if, something of, if something of that level, money is, is going to be the least of our issues. So again, there's trade-offs with everything. Yeah, that, that's right. We're not in heaven yet. No, so no, we're still nobody, in a fallen world. And, and there are people who treat Bitcoin like it's like this, it's this thing that can't, nothing can happen to it. It still is a tool. Um, it still is a fallen, lives in, a, exists in a fallen world. So. Amen. All right, um, man, one thing that I, I have to ask you, because this is probably my biggest hang up when it comes to Bitcoin. Okay. And that is the question of anonymity. Yep. If I keep gold yep. in my safe, yep. it is untraceable. Sure. It is, it's just gold. You could melt it down. You could turn it into sure. something else, turn it into jewelry, melt it down again, turn it into gold bars. But with Bitcoin, because the, the very strength yep. of its ledger yep. is also, as I see it, a, a major downside because mm -hmm. now, and, and I understand you can change your account numbers and things like that. I know that's not the right term for it. Yeah. There's <laughs> certain levels of anonymity that you can achieve, but if someone really wanted to, i.e. if the government really wanted to figure out which Bitcoin had sure. been used by you for what yep. pur purchases, they could do that. Don't mm -hmm. we lose something incredibly valuable by the very fact that Bitcoin is so open and the record yep. is so ex uh, uh, inexpungible? 
Joel, fantastic question. So great question. Now, again, this is largely, this is, there's a couple answers to this. There's the honest answer. And then there's the, the snooty answer. I'll give the snooty <laughs> answer first. And then I'll, and then I'll dignify it by giving the real answer. So fantastic. the snooty answer is how the vast majority of transactions that take place in the world right now are digital currencies. They're, they're, Everything people are using their debit cards, credit cards all day long. All of that's trackable. All of that's able to be shut down. We saw the Canadian trucker protest Terrible. and they were able to turn off access to your bank accounts at the drop of a hat and boom, you're, you're done for. Yeah. And so, so again, now the only money that they weren't able to access is the Bitcoin. Now right. they were able to access some of the Bitcoin that was held on, held on in exchange, but for the people that immediately custodied that Bitcoin, they weren't able to, they weren't, the government was not able to access that Bitcoin. And so you're able to have a lot of the same benefits of cash. Now, Bitcoin as currently constituted is able to be, to be tracked. It's able to be tracked more easily than say, um, than, than cash would be. Okay. But it's also affords, it also affords a number of, of privileges that cash doesn't have. So again, I can send money across the world. I can send Bitcoin across the world for basically free in 10 minutes, I can have final settlement in a way that that's, that's not possible with cash. It's like changing people's lives. Um, but again, wow. if you're looking at, as far as the actual, as far as having the same level of privacy as cash does, no, Bitcoin doesn't have that. Um, there are privacy, um, basically privacy upgrades put in layman's terms, privacy upgrades that is, is, are currently being in, uh, implemented and that have been implemented to increase Bitcoin's privacy. Bitcoin is, it seems so out of reach for so many Christians. You yeah. got to think, okay, is my is is my grand aunt is she just going to adopt bitcoin she barely got email figured out yep, yep. how how is bitcoin the answer yep. to these biblical commands when these biblical commands are for every christian and bitcoin yep. seems to have such a high barrier of entry what yep. you say and that that totally again fantastic question now again you you mentioned the email example and i'm going to go back to i'm going to go back to the well so your your great aunt it was hard for her to get email but she got email Okay. Hey, if you, you can find clips of, I believe it was the Today Show in the mid-90s, and these people are trying to talk about uh, email. And they're like, what is email? What is this email? You know, right. they're like, how do you use this? And really, at the end of the day, all you need to know is email is a way to send uh, information digitally across the internet. And all, all you need to functionally know at the end of the day about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is a way to send, it's a way to digitally send value across the internet. If you can use email, you can use Bitcoin. No one is saying Bitcoin is the easiest thing in the world. No one's saying that. But you know what? It's, it's, it's a lot easier to learn to use Bitcoin, especially today with the tools that are available. It's a lot easier to, to use Bitcoin than it is to be cut off from access to your bank account. Because if my pastor preaches on the biblical sexual ethic and our church gets blacklisted and then they have membership records, whatever, and I get cut off from access to my bank account, that's not, that's not, that's a non-negotiable thing. I can't have that happen. And hmm. so Bitcoin represents a, a parallel system that is a little bit, a little bit difficult to learn, but once you learn it, you've got it. And you're not subject to some of to a lot of those same things. I can do peer-to-peer transactions. I don't have to trust a, a bank account. God has made us incredibly intelligent, um, including including older people. He's made them intelligent, and they're going to do what they need to do to survive. And Bitcoin is is one tool um, that people that can help people do exactly that. How can someone get started using Bitcoin if they're yep. a complete newbie? What's complete what's the first, yes. What's the best first step? 
Yes, complete noob. Okay, so there is a there is a okay the, the company that I would recommend they're they're doing God's work out there is a company called Swan Bitcoin. Okay, um, so basically Swan Bitcoin Swan is one of a few companies that's they only sell Bitcoin. So what does that mean? That means that in the short term they are foregoing hundreds of millions of dollars by not selling people things that they know are worthless but that could make them a lot of money in the short term. So again, that I, I know people in this company, there's, I know a bunch of Christians that work for this company as well. And so the fact that they are within their business model committing to forego making as much money as possible in order to do right by and actually promote products that they, Bitcoin, which they actually believe in. I'm like, I love these people. <laughs> these people are, are good actors in this space. Yeah. The other thing that they do is they are promoting, helping people understand what Bitcoin is and how to use it. How can people engage with your work? Yep. So we have a website that's tgfb.com. Um, we are going to have the second uh, annual uh, Thank God for Bitcoin conference. Uh, it's going to be in Miami. Um, you can basically find out more information about the conference at tgfb.com slash conference. Um, and we have two different ticket options. If you want to go there physically, if you can get to Miami, um, we have a physical ticket adoption. We also have a, we're going to be live streaming the whole event as well. So if you're not able to make it to Miami, um, you can get a ticket and you can watch all of that. And if you use promo code TGFB23, and that will get you 15% off any of those ticketed options. And you and I are actually doing a Twitter space coming up on the 18th. And we're going to be joined by Kevin Blessum, who's on our board for the Think Institute. Cool. Uh, I meant to mention one other thing. So we're getting ready to launch a couple of podcasts. Um, one podcast is just going to be the Thank God for Bitcoin podcast. Our, our first uh, episode is going to be an interview that I did with Pastor Douglas Wilson. So uh, pumped, was pumped about that. Cool. Yeah, so hopefully right, that well, can be a blessing and hopefully again, we can create more content. Um, looking but, forward yeah. to it, man. So now you know, Bitcoin is a way of storing value. Money has always been with us as human beings. And in recent history, after the Second World War, the U.S. became a de facto economic empire. This happened when we convinced the world to use the dollar as their reserve currency. The dollar was backed by gold until 1971, when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And you heard about how money leads to corruption and how Bitcoin may help to mitigate that because there is a set number of Bitcoins, 21 million, which means Bitcoins cannot be artificially inflated, which is actually really cool. I raised the objection to Jordan Bush about anonymity, and he admitted that Bitcoin isn't anonymous, although there are new technological advancements being made to help mitigate that. And finally, you heard about how Bitcoin is complicated, but that doesn't have to be a deal breaker. Now, have you heard about our premium podcast subscription? It's called Think Squad Plus. Think Squad Plus is the premium podcast subscription that helps you to build a legacy in the Christian worldview and helps you equip other Christian men who are serious about answering the world's questions and passing on the faith to the younger generation. You do this by supporting the Think Institute through your membership. Think Squad Plus subscribers get perks and you get the wonderful feeling of knowing that you are supporting our work with the Think Institute to equip Christian men and their families to pass on the faith to the younger generation and to build a legacy in the Christian worldview. You can get all the stuff that I just mentioned for just $9 a month. Learn about this or subscribe to Think Squad Plus now by going to thinksquadplus.com. 
www.supercast.com. So check that out in the show notes. And hey, shout out to Curtis Campbell. Curtis, I'm so glad to have you on board and I'll see you at our next AMA call, God willing. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedicase. That's me. And it has been a production of the Think Institute. We are a Christian nonprofit ministry that equips believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And we are based by God's grace.